Welcome to the TESFE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the teacher recruitment issue. With the teaching workforce having dropped by 20,000 since 2010 and the introduction of the new T-level qualifications just two years away, the need for colleges and training providers to attract new teachers grows more and more pressing by the month. The numbers starting initial teacher education in further education has also dropped. In 2013, there were nearly 39,000 teachers undertaking training, compared to just over 24,000 in 2015-16, so that's a drop of 38%. The introduction of T-levels will only add to the growing need for more teachers. The new technical qualifications will involve 50% more teaching hours, so up from 600 hours for equivalent courses, now to 900 hours a year. Joining me to talk about this subject is Sarah Waite. Welcome, Sarah. Tell us what you do in FA. So I'm the founder and chief executive of Get Further, which is a new further education social enterprise. And we support students who are facing challenges while studying English or maths in further education by matching them to an exceptional tutor. That sounds interesting. Oh, it's got it all for me, teacher recruitment and English and maths GCSE. How did you come to set up this company? How did it all come about? Probably the journey starts with me being a qualified maths teacher. So I started my career teaching maths in secondary school really saw firsthand just um, the difference in opportunities that students who gain these qualifications get and the students who don't. It's something I've been passionate about for a while. And I actually left teaching a few years ago and I went into roles in policy. I've been a political advisor before in a previous life. And I was actually went to work at um, the Social Mobility Commission as head of policy. And I was looking at the early years, looking at the attainment gap around there, and realising that actually a significant part of that gap is linked to parental level of education and the home learning environment. And I started thinking, well, at you know, 16, we've got thousands of students who um, leave school without gaining these qualifications. And not only um, is the impact of that long-lasting on their opportunities, their careers, and for whether they can study you know, higher-level qualifications in the future... But it also, um, you know, affects their confidence and potentially, you know, how able they are to help their own children um, with their education in the future. And I really just started to strongly believe that if I want to do my bit to support social mobility in this country, then I should be looking at post-16 education, further education and adult education. And so that's sort of how I, how I got into this, uh, tackling this problem. Yeah. Had you any experience in the world of post-16 before? Primarily, my background was early years and uh, secondary school, but because I'm, I wanted to explore this area further, I actually went and took a secondment uh, to work at City Hall uh, to support preparations there for devolution of the adult education budget. Right. I wanted to gain a deeper understanding of FE, and uh, that really gave me an insight into just a really interesting policy area as well with devolution happening. Were there um, any surprises, you know, when you first got involved in this sector that you thought, hang on? How is this happening? Loads, probably at different stages along the way. But, you know, years ago when I first realised that actually teachers in further education get paid, I think it's on average £7,000 less than teachers in secondary schools. Yeah. Um, and actually that will get worse with the uh, pay increase that teachers in sec- well, schools get, which is, you know, welcome. But it makes, you know, recruitment issues in FE 
potentially even more challenging yeah so there are things like that that you're just like oh god what that's awful and then you know other issues so exploring the English and maths problem um, and talking to FE principals and really realizing just um, the logistical challenges that they face in delivering exams uh, when you've got thousands of students taking subjects at the same time so that's something that actually I hadn't considered from a secondary school perspective because the numbers are smaller when you say English and maths problem do you mean the the logistics of actually taking the exams or do you see something wider than that? So what I mean about, I guess, the English and maths problem is so every year around 200,000 children sort of at 16 leave school without reaching the expected standard in GCSE English or maths. And these children are disproportionately from disadvantaged backgrounds. And so then they're required to continue to study English and maths as part of their post-16 education. But what we often see is a widening of the attainment gap in that it's students from disadvantaged backgrounds who, on average, make negative progress and go backwards, whether students from uh, wealthier backgrounds make positive progress. What I want to do is address that issue and make sure that all students are having access to the support that they need to secure GCSE English and Maths in post-16 education or beyond. Because these qualifications, I suppose, are really the gateway qualifications to higher level qualifications or securing potentially better paid jobs or even progression in work later on. What if some of the young people that are coming into FE and who haven't passed the GCSE English and Maths, mm-hmm. what if they're such a long way from it that mm-hmm. it would be more beneficial for them to do a functional skills route mm-hmm. before they set off into GCSE, if they set off into GCSE at all? There are obviously varying um, levels of prior attainment, and, and I think the, the point is is that it's beneficial for all of these students to continue to improve their levels of literacy and numeracy you know ideally um, with that that goal in mind if they can reach it I think what you said there was key really like it's you know fine if they're studying a, a different qualification if it's leading them towards the opportunity to uh, reach that level where they can take that GCSE qualification because really that's that they're the gateway qualifications that are going to open doors for these students. I think one of the issues here is what damage it might do if they have to retake the GCSE again and again and again. There's some kids who are retaking it, you know, five, six, seven times. And Mm -hmm. while I totally agree that the GCSE is the the more wider known qualification, the long-term possible damage of them having to retake something again and, and, and again to do with their perception of what education is could be something that lasts a lifetime. And my concern is, is it worth it? Is it Mm -hmm. worth potentially putting them off education for the rest of their lives by what we're doing in these few years? I think there's a few things going on um, there, really. I think, like, we've probably done um, a thing in this country where we've created a stigma around, you know, continuing to study GCSE English and maths, whereas personally, I believe, like, like every other country in the OECD, all students should continue to study English and maths um, in some form up to the age of 18. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't disputing that whatsoever. I was just meaning the qualification rather than the actual studying of English and maths. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's uh, another issue around the fact that like a lot of people who um, struggle to get these qualifications and don't 
still go off into adulthood feeling very underconfident in their skills. For example, my mum, you know, she struggled with, it wasn't GCSE at the time, but with um, maths, and it's something that's haunted her for her life. I do recognise the point that you're talking about those students who are potentially taking it like, you know, seven, eight times. And I think colleges, you know, do have a job to look at that and think, okay, when is the right time for students to take this exam? You know, should we be putting them all in in November on a kind of like hope that they'll get over the line? Or should we be really thinking through what a strong post-16 English and maths curriculum looks like and teaching that and, you know, giving them even more and a better offer than they had when they were in secondary school so that they've got the best chance of making progress. I mean, actually, I've been looking at the maths one, which is uh, what we launched our pilot in, in a lot of depth, and it is actually a very functional qualification. It's it's tough, but it, it's functional. Yeah. So if the college is looking at their plan and timetable over the year, so should they, for example, always get a student and put them in for the exam straight away um, right. in November, you know, if there's a risk that that student's, you know, not going to achieve that their target grade, or would it be better to wait, for example, for the summer? Right. Um, and, and give them a year long run at it with a really strong curriculum. In terms of how Get Further comes into this conversation, mm-hmm. tell me how this started, how, how you created this. It's still very new. Um, whilst I was working at City Hall, I started scoping out the idea um, for Get Further, looking at a lot of evidence around effective interventions that might be able to support these students. A lot of the research was pointing to tutoring services and tutoring interventions. I scoped out the idea and I applied for the Teach First Innovation Award at the start of this year um, and fortunately won that award and basically since then it's been all, all systems go. So with the support of that award I've been able to leave my job and actually work on Get Further full time and launch our pilot. So our maths pilot started two weeks ago um, in South London. Really exciting seeing all the students sort of come together and meet their tutors and we got some really great feedback when they first met as well. It's a mentoring scheme. It's primarily a tutoring scheme, but the idea is that it's tutoring and mentoring. So we match tutors to the students, either one-to-one or in small groups, and they are given a really, it's, it's, post, it's a tailored post-16 curriculum and set of resources that the tutors work through with the students. But the idea is that they're actually also building a relationship um, with the students so that they can provide that, that boost, that support, that motivation when the students might be flagging. And there's things throughout the programme over the year that we've added in to try and really maintain student motivation. So we've built in socials over the year. We are also utilising some of the findings that came out recently from the Behavioural Insights team around some of the text messaging interventions. So some of our students have nominated a study supporter who are being texted about what the students studied in their tutorial and being encouraged to ask um, them about it. So that could be a parent or a, a sibling. So it's really kind of trying to draw down on lots of effective different types of interventions to give the students um, a really strong holistic run at at securing these grades. Yeah and where are the tutors coming from? So the tutors this is a really exciting part of it so all our tutors um, have a teaching background they're qualified teachers but who are no longer working on the front line um, because they've chosen to move into a different sector so we know that every year around 4,000 teachers leave teaching um, for roles outside of education but many retain their passion for education and their passion for tackling educational inequality and so Get Further is aiming to tap into that resource 
and use their teaching skills and experience to basically um, give these students who need it most the highest chance of um, achieving the grades that they want. Yeah. Is this done on a voluntary basis? Yes, so our tutors are volunteers, so they're giving up um, their own time, um, which is why it's all about kind of tapping into their passions for education. So, for example, we have um, some tutors on the programme who are um, Teach First Ambassadors, who they love teaching, but they've chosen to um, move on to something else, perhaps the civil service, perhaps go and work in um, a company like PwC or Accenture, but they still love teaching and they are giving up their time to tutor these students um, because they recognise that actually these are the students that, you know, often they can't afford a tutor, for example, yeah. but they would really benefit from that, you know, extra small group or one-to-one support. Yeah. And is this done within kind of a college framework? Yeah, so um, for the pilot, all our tuition sessions are actually on site at the college and the tutors travel to the college to meet the students. I'm actually exploring potentially with some of the older students whether there could be um, a programme where um, they meet off-site, so in a mutually convenient public location like a coffee shop or in the tutor's place of work. So that's something I'm exploring for a new uh, sort of phase two pilot in January. Oh, that's exciting. It is exciting, yeah. What are your ambitions for it? Um, So, well, we're developing the English curriculum and resources at the moment so I'm hoping to launch the English pilot in 2019 in in the autumn and at the same time expand the maths program Uh, what I'd like to do so we're only in London at the moment and I would like to be working in every sub-region in London so that when the tutors apply you know based on where their geographical location is they've got a choice of which college they would like to work with I also would like to look at uh, expanding out to some of the other regions as well sounds like a fabulous project now I'm going to ask you a question and I sound like a right old cow for asking you this so I apologize in advance because it's a bit negative (laughs) (laughs) if in the longer term from what you're doing if it has a real positive impact which is fabulous for the students but on the face of it the college is still getting ridiculously tiny amounts of money and yet the numbers are going up, more people are passing, more that because there's this intervention on a voluntary basis, does that therefore let the government think we don't need to give them any more money because it's look, it's working, it's all turning around? I don't think that would happen actually. I, I genuinely um, believe, and I, I'm in touch with people at um, the Department for Education, but if, if they you know, could see lots of interventions in this space that were having a positive impact, that would make a very strong case to government and in particular to the Treasury that this is an area that should be invested in. I mean, I think that case is there already. I think this is such an important area that they should be investing more in it already. You know, there's already a catch up premium um, that year seven students get. Um, for English and maths and I think that there should be something equivalent um, for post-16 students and I think it's sort of about using that position of get further as well to, to sort of echo some of these arguments that the FE sector have already been making. So you think if the figures are going up if it all looks like it's really working then that's a really good argument to take to government to say look this is what we're doing on a voluntary basis if you could put some money into this and make this happen, give this this tutoring, give this mentor, this kind of communication and these relationships, imagine what we could do then. 
I think it's about like looking at what works in this space in particular. So um, the department, through things like um, their post-16 centres of excellence, which I'm sure you've heard of already, is actually looking for different types of interventions that could be effective in this space. They want to know what what will have the most impact to help these students go as far as possible. So so they're already looking. I mean, we're in this early stage anyway, where the numbers um, that we're working with are small, so we're not going to like massively affect these like overall headline dfegov.uk statistics. But they are actively looking for things to uh, potentially invest in in the future to support these students. So this could have some real oomph as research to make a real case for GCSE resits and the the right interventions and what impact they make. Yeah, definitely. You know, we're trying different um, aspects as part of this program, but we're in our pilot phase and, you know, I'm, I'm learning and I'm working with the college very closely to get their feedback as well on um, what is effective and what isn't effective so that, you know, this program gets tighter and tighter each year and and hopefully it really adds to the evidence base as to what works in post-16 English and maths. Yeah, I wrote a feature about pedagogy a few weeks ago, pedagogy and FE, and several of the sector leaders were talking about the lack of evidence that we have at the moment to do with pedagogy and mm. teaching English and maths resets and how if we kind of developed this research bank we'd have a much stronger case i completely agree yeah and i think i'd love like forget further to add to that evidence base it sounds like a wonderful thing thank you before we go is there a website that people can go to 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 find out more yeah it's www.getfurther.org.uk brilliant sarah thanks ever so much for chatting with me i really appreciated it thank you thank you This has been the TESFE podcast with Sarah Waite and me, Sarah Simons. Join us again soon for all the FE news and views. Thanks for listening.